0: Hey guys, and welcome to Digital Artcast hosted by Gordon Neal. This episode is proudly sponsored by Procreate, the most advanced painting app ever designed for a mobile device. We'll be discussing the app a little more in the episode, as well as giving away a free coffee. We're also brought to you by Firestarter Community Magazine, your connection to the creative network. Now, let's start the episode.
1: Hey guys, and uh, welcome back to Digital Artcast. Um, we are here in the next episode with another interview. Um, this time, um, someone uh, again, it was mixing up from the concept side of it. We're going towards map painting this time, and we have managed to wrangle uh, Mr. Max Berman. Um, thank you very much, Max, for giving up your time to speak to us, and uh, welcome to the, the podcast.
0: Ah, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's an absolute honor. Um, we're, we're very delighted that you could, you could take the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Um, so yeah, so Max, uh, I mean, I'd, like probably most of the guests, uh, I'm a fan of your work and, and know you kind know, of in depth about things and projects you've undertook. But for people who don't know you, um, what's to, what's your job? What's your day to day? You know, role? What do you what do you do for a living?
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Well, um, yeah, my my main specialty is map painting. Um, so uh, kind of creating the environments for films and games. And, uh, and I do a lot of concept art and art directing as well. Um, so yeah, just pretty much uh, creating creating environments is is really my thing.
1: Grand, grand. And and then again, uh, you know, your career has been illustrious so far, but um, how did you find your way into painting? Because especially, I think even map painting is something that has only really come about... Well, I mean, it's, it's been in movies for years and years, but a, a lot of concept has gained its popularity in the last five or six years. So. Um, how, how did you know when you were younger or, or whenever you got any art, you know, how did you know that's what you wanted to do and how did you get into the industry to start with?
0: Sure. Uh, well, I got I got pretty lucky with, with matte painting. Um, I, I had been using Photoshop for a while and I always liked doing the photo reel stuff. And I was showing my portfolio to a couple people and someone said, oh, you're a matte painter. And I was like, yes, I am. And that's, uh, that's kind of how I found out about matte painting. Thanks. Um, and then in terms of how I got in the industry, I, I knew I wanted to work in visual effects, so I went through um, the phone book at that time and called <laughs> every studio in L.A. offering to work for free. Oh, wow. It was just like, I need to be in a studio, I, I just need to, to see what that world is like and be in that world. And, um, and after calling all 200 studios in L.A., uh, wow. Zoic got back to me, so Z, the bottom of the list, <laughs> and offered me uh, an internship. Wow. And that's where I started. And, um, and shortly after I was working there or started there, um, Sid Dutton, who's just this legendary map painter, um, joined the studio yep. and took me under his wing as his, uh, as his apprentice. Wow. So I was very, very fortunate um, and very lucky. But that's, that's kind of how I got my, my first job.
1: Wow. And I, I was just going to say, Max, would that mean that you didn't do the traditional route that most people do where it's uh, an education platform? You would have went to something like CalArts or, or Art You of Did you teach yourself along the way?
0: Yeah, I was teaching myself and, uh, and I was taking classes at Nomen. Um, I wasn't full-time enrolled. I was just kind of taking classes on the side. But I uh, I started at Zoic when I was 18, so I was fresh out of high school and wow. and just taking night classes, and and that opportunity happened to come about.
1: Wow, wow, and that's and again the the way of the old style painters where you would be an apprentice to someone, you would learn from the master. Um, it's something that's quite rare as well because most people, even though they can they can kind of dodge school, will learn online through some you know third party software or third party teaching. You know, like uh, like Learn Squared or like Nomon, um, and to be taken on by somebody who's already um, you know a, a legend in their field must have been, I don't know, um, scary, nervous, startling. You know, it must have been all those things at once. I suppose was was that something that you you never really envisioned happening, or was it something that just came by luck? Or yeah, finding a mentor
0: is is an incredibly difficult. Thing and very few people ever get get that chance. Um, I've I've been very lucky in my career to have several mentors who've taken me on. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but when that when that happened, it was um, it, it's one of, it was one of the best days of my life because I knew when he took me on that uh, that I actually was going to have a career in this industry and yeah. and that I was given that opportunity to learn from him. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that day vividly. I just like I I, I was teary-eyed because I, I knew that I, I actually had a, a future career. And that was the day that that I knew that. Yeah. And um and Sid treated me amazingly. He taught me so much and yeah. uh and he had a sick sense of humor too. So yeah, I was like <laughs> absolutely terrified. Um and, and always wanting to to get his approval and uh and he would walk past you know he'd come up behind me and see my painting and just go. Huh, he's lost the magic. I just turned and <laughs> <off> away.
1: <laughs> oh dear cruel. Um but I suppose that's that's a double edged sword because although it might demotivate that stuff can also sometimes inspire, so if he's you know want to push the best out of you, he's maybe no one to give you, you know, your graces straight away, he's wanting you to, to push to to do better, um, I suppose. Yeah, it took me a little
0: bit to realize that was just his sixth sense of humor, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh, just his way of joking with me. But at yeah. first, I was like crushed, and uh, <laughs> and after a while, it would just
1: make me laugh. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, that's good. So, you worked at the studio earlier on, you know, you're, you're 18, you're, you've got this apprenticeship, you're, you're working towards this thing. Um, were you involved in a, a major kind of Hollywood production straight away? Did you work in a, a kind of film or, or, or movie? Being in that, I'm assuming it was a film studio you worked in to start with?
0: Yeah, Zoic uh, mostly does television and commercials, and we had a ah. couple films. Um, but yeah, I, I, right away I was doing a couple shows. I was doing this show called V and another one called Flash Forward. and Oh,
1: got,
0: yes. Yeah, and got chances to do some paintings for True Blood and Fringe and
1: oh, wow.
0: uh, a bunch of those kinds of TV shows. Um,
1: yeah. And, yeah and, and and was that um was that something that you had envisioned like were you happy doing what you're doing at the time were you you know was that what you envisioned doing or was there was there i don't know a, a need to do something bigger and greater or were you quite content with working on those t v shows at the time or
0: I was excited to be working on shows to to be able to like turn on the t v and see my paintings that was yeah. that was exciting um Part of me didn't care about the project and always just really cared about the paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other part of me always had that this hunger to work on on the biggest movies and the biggest projects and the biggest studios. Yeah. So um, it was
1: kind of both. I was really happy to be there, but I also had this ambition to, to do a lot more than that. Yeah. And then again, that was a, a kind of, I would say humble start, but it was quite a, an illustrious start for most people to be working so quickly. But um, how long were you there before you moved on to another studio? And then what, what was your next step? Where did you go after, after there?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I was there for a year and a half and then um, I broke away. And, uh, you know, actually, this was, it was a big le- learning curve for me when I left. Because I thought I was ready to go freelance, but and I think a lot of people want to jump into freelance, um, and I honestly wasn't ready for it. So I broke away when I probably should have stayed there a lot longer, and I and I would have loved to have stayed there with Sid a lot longer. Um, and I hit like a horrible dry spell. You know, I thought I was like, oh, I have a portfolio now. I've been doing these projects. I can get some freelance work, yeah. and I got a couple freelance jobs, and then I hit a dry spell that really shook me. Uh-huh. Um, and then after a couple months, I got a staff job at uh, Stargate, All right. uh, another TV studio. And so I was doing uh, Walking Dead over there and a bunch of other shows. Wow. wow. And, met, and met a second mentor, uh, Cedric Tomacruz, who's just like, he really, you know, really honed my my technical skills. Um, yeah. So I spent a year with him there and and we we just had a blast and I learned a lot from him and, and by the time I was done with this kind of like boot camp with him mm-hmm. I actually went back to Zoek as a as a lead map painter.
1: Wow yeah I mean it sounds like a quite a a specialized uh path you've kind of carved out for yourself because obviously most people we speak to in this podcast they will probably have you know like a humble beginning from going to you know they'll start in school and then when we get into a smaller studio doing you know a show that nobody's heard of or working on a game that's like mobile or you know something very low budget compared to you know where they eventually end up but you've been kind of thrown in at the deep end from a very young age i mean because obviously you know straight from zoic you were walking into stuff like the walking dead where you know that's like a major triple a uh studio tv show that's you know seasons wide um how did i mean even just a side note from your career but how did you Handle that pressure of having to work on such you know such a big scope, i suppose
0: yeah I mean i think uh, I think that's something that i'm I'm, I'm always up to the challenge of it. I always loved that challenge, um, and so if there wasn't a challenge or if there wasn't things at stake i wouldn't I would need to move on to something else
1: right yeah so, so you, you, you tend to not to try get too comfortable, you want to try and be pushing outside your comfort zone a lot of the times. Uh, yeah I'm, i I try to never get comfortable um even
0: now you know coming coming up on ten years doing this stuff um right. i I'm, if if it's something comfortable, then I'm not really interested in it right um, you're, yeah, you're, and,
1: you're,
0: and, and, oh go for it
1: no, I was just going to say so you, you're always looking for that next thing that you think will be something that will test you that'll will, that'll will push you that 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 further bit out than the than it did before.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And one of the beautiful things is like early in my career working on television was um, you'd have such a quick deadline to do paintings. You know, yeah. you really only have a day or two to do a matte painting. Um, so after doing uh, three years of that, it was just I've experienced so many different kinds of paintings mm-hmm. and I've gotten so fast because I had to get my techniques down
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: that that I, I feel like it was just a... Uh, um, I learned really, really fast because there was no other choice.
1: Yeah, so it was kind of trial by fire, if you may, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and and when I had gone back to Zoic as as a lead, I had gotten pretty comfortable with those quick turnarounds, and at that point, it was very much, I was looking for the next challenge, which was, um, you know, what what do you do if you have two weeks to do a painting and you want to make it look perfect? You know, how okay. do you do you push it where the deadline isn't the constraint but the quality is and, yeah. and so at the, after that it was time for me to to leave television
1: right and then of course now it starts your career and um and i mean i'm assuming it was movies next but obviously you've worked in video games you've worked in mobile stuff you've worked in tv advertising i mean was it was that your next aspiration after working in tv for so long did you want to go to feature films or was there something else that called you after that yeah, I, I was actually really interested in animation, um, because it was so different.
0: So I, I left Zoic and went to Sony Animation and did Hotel Transylvania and then after that ended up going working with Blur and Digital Domain and MPC and all of those and, and focusing more on game cinematics, um, commercials and,
1: and film. Wow. Yeah. And then again, was that a game where you wanted to be, or were you just, you know, kinda of constantly looking for the next challenge, or was there something that kept... kept you know, was it was it all freelance kind of stuff, or were you jumping from studio to studio on each project?
0: I, it kind of went both ways. Um, you know, there were times like I was at Sony for maybe eight months. I was at Digital Domain for almost a year, so it was freelance. But I would I would spend some time at these places. Yeah. Um, but also, like I never had one job. You know, I always had multiple jobs going. So I'd right. be be at a studio for. for eight hours a day and then I'd go home and have another six hours of different freelance jobs like I always double booked myself um for the first couple years at least
1: yeah I mean and is that something that you can still emulate today do you still try to work those 12-hour you know 16-hour days or is that have you have you drawn back a bit now and have you got more balance kind of work life going on
0: yeah, I, I, uh, I did that early in my career because I had somewhere I wanted to get to and somewhere I wanted to be. Um, I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm at in my career right now, so mm. I, now the challenge is very much um, fighting for as much balance in my life outside of work as possible.
1: Yeah, yeah, which I think is something that, you know, I've spoke to multiple people and it's something that everybody strives for because um, this industry in particular and I think more towards uh, America, is very intensely focused on work ethic. So, um, you know, even like a, a studio I've been entering in recently, their days consist usually from 10 in the morning till 6 at night. Um, and then they, they go home for the day. You know, they don't work the weekends. Um, you know, unless obviously there's a push on at the end. But, um, but then obviously after um, 6 o'clock, I think it's like you know, time and a half. After 10 o'clock, it's double time. Um, whereas, you know, in America, I think they have a, a situation where they're quite eager to work those 10, 14 hour days if they can and most studios um, and um, even stuff like, you know, we get 30 days vacation across here and the States is more like 10. Um, so do you think there's, there's a culture shift in America? Do you think you guys are more focused on the deadline? You guys are more willing to push those kind of 12 hour days, you know, and studios as opposed to anywhere else that you've worked or? Yeah,
0: definitely. I think, uh, I think, the U.S. very much has that culture of living to work versus, I think, a lot of other places in the world work to live. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and-, and, you know, it's fine. It's nice because you, you have a certain amount of camaraderie and you have that burning energy and that passion. And that's, that's amazing. It feels great. Yeah. But it also leads to burnout and, and not good work. And so yeah. I think there's a middle ground that, that we need to hit.
1: Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I think there's a, there's a huge shake-up. I mean, we talked about this in the last episode with Matt Gazer, who obviously has worked in some, you know, major studios, um, ILM, Skywalker Ranch and, and DreamWorks. But, you know, we also talked to him about how there's a whole shake-up just now in the industry where a lot of guys are trying to, um, you know, work towards a unionisation of a lot of the guys that work in the industry. Um, probably because there's there's so many conditions under which people work where... Um, you know, it, it it it's not great. I mean, the, the, I'm trying to think of an example, but the, the only one I can think of is the recent Sausage Party film that was produced. out of a small studio in LA. Uh, Seth Rogan's film, and a lot of the guys that were doing the VFX for that. Um, I think there was kind of horror stories coming out of the press about how, you know, the guys were getting worked. You know, fourteen, sixteen hours, six days a week. You know, they were getting no vacation time. They were getting, you know, guys were leaving. I think two months before the project shipped, and their their names were getting taken off the credits. And there was a whole slew of stuff. Um, I mean, it's a it's a, it's a it's a fully loaded question, but I mean, even if you could kind of skim over it, I mean, what are your thoughts on bringing unions into, you know, kind of all aspects of, of, of concept art or, or you know, production? Um, I know there is a, a system in place for movies just now where people um, work within a union for the movie industry. Um, but obviously I think people try to expand that in the games and animation. How do you feel? Do you think that would help the industry as a whole?
0: Yeah, I'm very mixed on it. It's it's a complicated issue. I think without unions, um, the quality of your work is really the guiding factor to whether or not you're working. And with unions, a lot of the times it becomes the, the people who are grandfathered in or the people who have been working in the business longest are the ones who are going to get the jobs or have the higher rates. Yeah. So, so I, I'm very much of the mindset of... Um, it should all be based on the quality of your work and yeah. the experience that you give your client, regardless of if you can get into a union or not okay. um, and also our industry is very different than a lot of other industries in that um, it's global so if if the games industry were to have a union it, or or and I don't know. What's going on with their current unions? Yeah. But I just know that, like, uh, Art Directors Guild and stuff like that, like, mm-hmm. that's very much an LA-based union. And and if everything went that way, it would be really hard to use amazing artists who might be in a place of the world where they don't have the connections to get into there.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, which is which is fine, obviously, because, like I said, there's there's a it's a double-edged sword because, um, you know, me and Matt talked about this uh, the last the last episode where. It's great where the union brings in um, security for people with, you know, with families or with health issues and stuff like that, where you're getting treated fairly within the studio. But then, um, you know, Matt talked about he had seen, you know, not naming any names, but he'd seen some major motion pictures coming out, um, releasing some concept art. And he had said that it seemed like, you know, not the best work he had seen. It seemed even, you know, a a bit kind of thrown together or a bit lazier than some of the stuff he'd seen where people were non-unionized or not working within a union structure. Um, and I mean, has that been your experience with with some film studios, or um, can you talk about that at all? Do you feel like the unions maybe make people a bit more complacent within their work?
0: You know, I, I haven't worked directly with any unions or yeah. any union jobs because, you know, visual effects doesn't have a union. So if yeah. you're a concept artist for a production, you might have to be union, but mm. if you're a concept artist for the VFX studio working on it, you don't. Right. Um, so, you know, I've been very much on the VFX studio side of things, so I haven't yeah. seen everything is very much based on the quality of your artwork, and, yeah. and that's how I believe it should be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've never been much for being part of the pack, you know, yeah. that's one of the reasons I'm not a staff artist anywhere. I, yeah. I, I much prefer that, you know, to do my own thing and not necessarily follow the horde.
1: Right, yeah, I'm with you, yeah. And is and is that something that you probably feel as a more balanced for you? Do you feel like you're less want to be in a studio environment? You're more you're happier outside when you're freelancing when you're working with clients remotely. Yeah, I mean, I I've
0: spent a lot of time working at at like thirty different studios. Um, I I owned a VFX studio for a while. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was a staff art director at a studio. So like I, I feel like I've had all those positions possible. and at a certain point, I realized that um, what was important to me is the lifestyle I wanted to create and to let the work kind of go around that lifestyle. If it didn't support my lifestyle, then to to not to not take it on. And yeah. and one of the things I hate more than anything else is when I'm trying to do a creative job and someone else is telling me where to be and when to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and especially when it's some HR person who has no clue what the creative process is like. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd rather sidestep all that and, and just say, hey, look, I, I work on my own terms, but I do really good work and I treat people really well and I always keep my word. Yeah. So it, if you want to work with me, it, you know, I'll always make sure you have what you need, but I got to live my lifestyle the way I want it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it horns back to a a talk I I listened to a while back with Bobby Chew, um, the guy from Schoolism, where he talked about one of his first jobs he received when he was up in Canada was to go and work, I think on, it was at the time, Alice in Wonderland. And, uh, you know, I think at the time, Tim Burton had said that he wanted him to go over to Los Angeles and he was like, well, you know, I'm in Canada and I don't want to travel and he was like all right you know well we really love you on set and he says no no you know i could do this stuff from remote i, did, I don't have to be there and you know they're kind of back and forward for a while until eventually it was like you know well no, it's fine you can work from canada so um yeah i think it's 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 more especially since the boom with internet people are kind of finding their way that they don't need to be in a studio environment i think it's more like you said for for concept and matt it's it's you can have that luxury i think 3d guys still have more of a place in the studio but um with, with the two D concept and stuff in Matt Payton, I think there's more um free reign for people to work remotely. Um and obviously it it also affords you the things like working internationally as well. Like giving you, you talked about guys working, you know, across the other side of the world. Have you have you also worked outside of the US, I take it? I'm assuming you have, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I've been uh I, I lived in, in Vancouver for a little bit and did a couple of films up there. Um Actually, that was like one of the big turning points to have to go up there and and leave my friends and family behind to do those projects. Yeah. Um, after that, I realized it's just not worth it and I, I won 't do that anymore um, yeah. but I do work for studios all over the world mm-hmm. um, and and you know working with someone in a, a studio in London or in New York is no different than working for a studio in l a for me
1: yeah.
0: uh, and I think that's the beauty, but also back to your point about 3D artists not necessarily having that luxury. Um, I, I have to say that I, I really think that anyone who has incredible work, who really does an incredible job and can manage themselves well, uh, regardless of their skill, uh, like set or what their craft is, um, can, can set this up for themselves. It's, I, I think, you know, I had to take a stand and when a lot of people told me that they wouldn't hire me remotely, and say, well, that's the only way I'm doing it, and I'm going to do such good work that you're going to want to be okay with it. Yeah. And yeah. and I think if you are if you're a modeler, a texture, a rigger, whatever, if you do the best possible work and people really want to work with you, then then you can take that stand.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and again, it's like I said, it's it's more. I think people are freelancing more and more. I mean, I know the studio we were at, we do have guys who they would go to, especially um, for stuff like matte painting, three D. If there's specifically um, specialized people in the field they would they would they would hire outside um, to, to, to bring that talent in because obviously it's harder to get those guys i think especially i mean if you're looking at guys who are like the best in the industry they probably will want to work with multiple studios across multiple contracts from different locations and i, I doubt they would be tied down to to one studio because obviously talent like that is very sought after so i think it's very rare when you have people at the top of their game um i think they, they are, they're they're the people that would more want to work remote um, like yourself obviously um, because now obviously you have a, a huge portfolio a huge legacy behind you so um you know your emails must be you know people constantly looking for work and trying to hire you across the world so how do you how do you find that balance about where you want to take projects is it just the project itself that attracts you to the work or or you know how do you how do you find where you want to go next well
0: for, for me the the projects I do now, I do with the understanding that uh, it's not my project. You know, I'm, I'm a hired gun. And, and my goal is to give the client exactly what they want as quickly as possible and, and the best quality. Yeah, so yeah. what the project is doesn't really matter to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I've done like one of every kind of painting at this point, you know, yeah, like yeah. not a lot new that comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, I choose projects based on how much freedom they're going to give me to do my own work. Right. Uh, so I don't I don't work all year round. I I'm selective with the with the timeframes. Right. Uh, so I'll take a project for a month or two, and then I'll take a couple months off. And and really, it's the people behind the project um, yeah. is is really the thing that determines whether or not I'll take it.
1: Right. Yeah. And 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 is that. A- I mean, talking about your, your kind of lifestyle or things that would adapt to that, is this because you like to you just like time with family and friends, or do you travel a lot, or you know, is, is it to compensate for that, or?
0: Yeah, I travel a lot. I spend a lot of time with my family and friends, and I also do a lot of my own artwork, and and I have a lot of other things that outside of map painting that, you know, that I that I love to do, like teaching yeah. classes for Learn Squared or doing my own like. I'm doing an art show now. Making a video game right now. Like all of these different things, and I want to make sure I give them just as much time as I give my client work.
1: Right. Okay. And so, so the the client works more to afford time to work on your kind of own IPs, your own visions, um, which I think is a common tale for a lot of people I've spoken to who um, are at the kind of top of the game. You know, where they want to use the, you know, the the, the work they do outside to fuel their own vision they have for a game or a movie. I mean. Dan Levesi obviously is one of the the, the standing trials for a lot of the guys in the industry where, you know, he's pushed LMS for, God, you know, years now that that's been trying to get, you know, um, a major studio behind it. Um, Is is that the kind of thing you want to be doing? When you talk about you're building a video game, are you looking to, to build a studio around that that produces content or is it just something solely just from yourself, you know, kind of solo project?
0: Yeah, well, I, I have a game that's, that's coming out later this year um, with Nintendo. So I've kind of spent a while making that. And, and you know, what Dan's been doing with LMS is absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah. I, I have the endurance for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, r- r- rather than doing that, I'd rather just m- make stuff on my own. And, yeah. and release it and not have to try to do something so big that I have to have a lot of financial support to make it happen. Yeah. Um, um, instead, I'd rather take client work to fund my projects and then to just make them happen. Um, but I'm not trying to do something nearly as ambitious or big as as Dan's been attempting.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, like, if, if people don't know about Dan Levese's work, I'll link it below because I need to because um, I still come across people in this industry I've never heard of him and I'm like I can't understand how <laughs> like you know, the guy's the guy's like alleged in his own lifetime. And LMS obviously um is is such a broad thing that he's he's tried to push and um you know that that bounty hunter movie man, like I just I just cannot wait for that to hit the screens. It is it's something that I would give up time and energy to, to see. Um and I'm still wishing the guy the best of luck, you know. Um I'm actually yeah. I'm one of I uh, know yeah I know you can yeah, he's his stuff's incredible.
0: Hundred percent with that. Like I, I I want to watch that guy succeed so badly. I love what he's standing for and and what he's doing. And yeah, um, Dan, if you're listening to this, any help that that I can give you, just let me know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, actually, there's a couple of guys I've never spoken to Dan directly or can interacted them. I mean, there, but there is people around you know, about his social circle that i, t- I talked to now and again um obviously like guys like justin field and stuff um and mark Burnett, and uh, a couple other guys and that that's LA. but um yeah um his stuff has been doing uh, well ms the last couple of years has been has been groundbreaking so yeah all the all the all the luck in the world to you buddy um so i mean you're taking on the the kind of freelance stuff you you're building your rep now um Suppose the kind of thing is, where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? Do you, do you feel like map painting is something you'll just continue to do um, going forward, or, or are you trying to diversify your skills into something else? Or
0: yeah, it's a it's an interesting question because uh, like right now I'm I, I've worked really hard to have the freedom that I have right now, and, and I'm I'm really enjoying this time, yeah. um, and really trying to just. Uh, Enjoy the moment right now with with having having the freedom to pursue these these things that I've been wanting to make. Um, I I love matte painting and I, I'll probably continue to do it for a while. Um, but you know the, the course that I've been on is just limiting the how much work I do for other people uh, more mm-hmm. and more, mm-hmm. um, and just being very selective and continuing to work with the people I absolutely love working with. Like I love working with Blur. Anytime yeah, they need yeah. anything, I'm, I'll be there for them. Um, but, but really, the next couple of years, I'd like to kind of step away from, from doing that much client work and, and really be focusing just uh, 100% on my own stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. And, is, and is, that, um, is, is the game project what is encompassing you just now? Is that, is that something you're trying to move into as is, is video games, or is, is there multiple levels of things you're trying to accomplish?
0: Uh, I love video games, I love making them. Um, and the tools now are, are such that I can do that. Um, so that's definitely one of the big things that I'm going to keep doing is, is making games and, uh, and doing art shows. I'm working on my first art show, art show now, and it's, I've had a lot of fun with that. And then a lot of, um, you know, education stuff. I, I, I've had a blast, uh, just teaching and and seeing people take that information and and move forward with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I make a deal with all of my students when we do the apprenticeship program. Mm-hmm. And the, the deal is is that I'm going to teach them or show them or answer any questions. I'm going to give them everything I have. But in exchange, I get to take credit for everything they do in the future.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a fair deal. I mean, it's I can't see a problem with that at all. Um, yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, we could definitely take some time just now because I know this has been quite a, a big part of your life the last year or two. Um, so you're working... With Machae and his team, you've worked with LearnSquared, you've just, um, not just, but I think it was last year it came out, the the map intro to map painting course. Do you want to talk about that kind of more in depth, what that offers and, and where the guys can find it? Sure.
0: Here's my little, my plug. Uh, <laughs> go to Learn, LearnSquared.com and all of their courses are awesome. And Ash and Machae and all those guys, they are just some of the best artists I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I did an intro to map painting course um, for them in December, and uh, and I'm working on another one now. So I'll continue to be a part of the Learn Squared uh, community. They just they built something really special, and and I really believe in what they're doing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trying to contribute as much as possible to them. Yeah,
1: definitely. And I mean, with intro to map painting, this is just a kind of start to finish. You could do the course and and be able to produce, I think there's, there's, you would build two or three portfolio pieces, is that right? And then you can walk them through the steps from initial kind of uh, basic concept and draft them to the end result at the end.
0: Yeah, there's not a whole lot of hypotheticals there. I tried to break it down almost like an IKEA instruction manual. You know, right. it's really step one, step two, step three, And and the way that my process works is... Um when when you have to produce matte paintings and you have to produce a lot of them very quickly, you can't just kind of wing it. You really have to have a, a structure and a process in place. Um yes, so I very yeah. much have it like an assembly line. Um so I walked through all of that and uh and it's been cool because a couple of the people who are in my like uh, apprenticeship program, I think almost half of the people who were who did the mentorship, um are working as map painters now so they've wow. been posting their client work and professional jobs and it's it's awesome to see so yeah, uh, yeah, that's, right. that's been like one of the most fulfilling things i've done in a long time
1: yeah and and that kind of teaching bug i mean would you ever see yourself classroom place are you quite content doing the remote stuff that that's then posted through the third party websites um like learn squared
0: yeah, I don't think I'd ever be like a resident teacher anywhere because um, then I'd be limited to, you know, 10 or 20 students. Whereas with Learn Squared, I can kind of teach hundreds of people at a time. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I, I, I do love doing, I just did it for the first time last month, is uh, I went and I was speaking at um, IFCC.
1: Oh, yeah, of course, my- in Croatia, yeah
0: yeah it was my first like keynote and uh and it was so incredible so uh, i don't think i'd be a teacher anywhere but i'll definitely continue to give talks
1: yeah yeah definitely i mean like I, I, one of the things i've found to going to a lot of these events i mean i never managed to get to ifcc unfortunately because i'm still in the process of finishing my degree so money is tight but um uh yeah ifcc uh trojan horse thu um i mean stuff like this and obviously um industry workshops as well in london these these kind of things, especially because I went to, you know, my first kind of proper one of going to these experiences was last year, and there's two workshops in London and, uh, you know, Daniel and his team put together an amazing um, week of of learning. And, uh, yeah, it just, it just, I don't know how you explain it, but it just energizes you and pushes you back out into the world. And you just want to do bigger and better things because you see there's so much creative energy around those events and so many amazing speakers and demos. Um, yeah, I mean, I I just couldn't recommend it enough to anybody who who has the opportunity to go to these events and 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 meet these people. Um, I mean, I know one of the guys uh, I sat the the podcast with, Colin, he's based up in Toronto, and he had one called Edge Control. I think was up there. Um, were a couple of guys, like Ash and that went up. Um, John Paul Dory, they done talks up there. Um, <clears throat> but these things are are awesome. So yeah, w- was your IFCC experience great? Did you love it? it was absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah, Marco and Sven over there, um, they really have created something special. And uh, yeah, I went there to just talk and I and I kind of was a little closed-minded. It was like oh, I'm going to go here, I'm going to give my talk, I'm going to do portfolio reviews and and that's it. Yeah. And then yeah. I I you know, just being around all these incredible artists and and watching their workflows, it changed uh, I, I left with so many ideas of like, oh man, I want to try uh, approaching paintings this way or this mindset or this process. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, artists that I have endless respect for and for, for years and years who I just, uh, hit it off with and became, became just deep friends with, you know, you have these, yeah. you share this experience and it's, it's philosophical as much as it is artistic and yeah. you make these relationships that, um, that are kind of just, even though you spend one week with the person, you feel like you've known them for a lifetime. So I highly recommend
1: it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. <clears throat> I mean, I'll just take a just five minutes just now, just because I, I, really I really want to talk about um, industry workshops in London. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Max, but um, Daniel, uh, that I'd set it up like last off that is running again this year. So um, industry workshops in London um it's a 3d event there's going to be you know a kind of full range of speakers um if anybody wants to check out the, the event you can go to workshops.co.uk and check out the the ticket sales they've just went live um i think they start from or they are 320 pounds um but that includes your event pass i think you get some a bag kind of full, full of loot um it involves breakfast every morning um and there's coffee and tea um and then obviously all the talkers they have throughout the days um you know some highlights for me this year are going to be paul scott Canavan. Mark Molnar, Sean um, Chavestre. So, I mean, they have a, a range of people um, that come across and and do these talks. I mean, I know even last year, a highlight for me was seeing the guys from CD Projekt Red, who worked on The Witcher games. Um, they were great to meet. And, and obviously, they did portfolio reviews. I mean, last year, when I went to... to um, event in London I met uh the guys from Axis Animation, um, in Glasgow, so that was how I got involved in turning for because I made a connection at the at the event. Um but they had guys from Framestore, NPC, um, you know, Creative Assembly, the guys who do Warhammer stuff. So there, there was a whole host of stuff. Um but guys, if you want to go check out industryworkshops UK, go and look at the ticket sales and get your ass down there because um it is a great three days and um like ifcc and stuff like that as well, it's just you know packed full of creatives um even apart from the speakers there's so many people there that are just there to learn and, and be part of that community and um yeah i could <laughs> i can't think of any reason why you wouldn't want to go to these things um because they just invigorate you, you know i mean yeah yeah definitely
0: and the industry workshops looks great i definitely want to check that out in in the future
1: yeah definitely i mean like uh like i said um daniel's just uh him and his team put on a, an amazing three days there and you know, the guys that managed to, to pull, um, uh, a lot of the guys obviously think when it's going to be based in London, it'll be mostly European artists, but um, you know they've, they've managed to pull some guys across from the States um, a good few couple of times. I think Thomas Scholes was one of the talkers last year, he was from the States last year, a, and obviously there was um, Aaron Beck, who's obviously a great uh, guy in the industry as well, across from um, New Zealand. Um, so yeah, it's, it's always good to go into these events because um, you learn so much, you know. Um, even Nick from uh, Nick Grider from from Naughty Dog was there. So yeah, it was it was a great it was a great time last year. Um, a lot of good talks. Um, so yeah, um, but then again, uh, speaking of kind of industry workshops, one of their major uh, sponsors is the same as ours, which is Procreate. Um, so just at this point of the the podcast, we're going to break off. We're going to talk about um, you know our sponsor which is digital uh, for digital art class, which is procreate um if you guys didn't know procreate's an apple design award-winning digital painting illustration solution designed exclusive for ios um, procreate allows you to create professional-grade artworks wherever you are with an advanced dual texture brush engine a robust layering system and a groundbreaking canvas resolution um, all for 5.89 and that's in the uk pounds um, if you want to find out more you can head across to procreate.art um to look at the app and and this uh, particular art Um We could talk about the features, but Max does use the program, um, uh, or has used it in the past for for concepting. Um, so, what's been your experience with Procreate, Max? I'm assuming a positive one, or
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Procreate is it's cool. I, it, whenever I'm sketching on an iPad, that's that's what I'm using. Um, it it has a lot of the tools where I'm pissed that Photoshop doesn't have those tools, active <laughs> uh, tools especially. They're yes. awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's super nice. Uh, yeah. I I love it a lot. It's it's kind of like if, if you're going to be painting on an iPad, you should use that. Um, per- personally, I I use the iPad more for just like thumbnailing and sketching, but um, but it's cool. I'm I, you know if I had the patience, I could probably do a whole painting on Procreate. I just usually don't have the patience and need my keyboard shortcuts.
1: Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's a great app. Yeah. Well, funny you say that, Max. Funny you say that, because um, just recently, Procreate integrated uh, keyboard shortcuts into the app. So if you were to bring across a Bluetooth keyboard or any of the smart keyboards that attach to the iPads, um, you can use the keyboards to use um, hotkeys. So you're copy and paste um, cuts, um, all that kind of stuff, resizing um it's now built into the app um so yeah maybe you want to look at what further down the line if you wanted to grab a a bluetooth keyboard and and use a stylus you can you can probably try and find your comfort zone outside when you're when you're um away sketching and and also think one of the the greatest things that they've integrated recently is the streaming capability. so a lot of the guys now um can stream to to sites like twitch and youtube and stuff and facebook through the app um which has been a great thing as well and obviously their canvas size as well because they um they go up to to four K now and, and beyond, um, so yeah, professional level work. There's a guy actually, uh, Nikolai Lockerstein, um, who is based out in, uh and in towards Russia Romania, but, um, but he has basically built his entire career um, off the app. Does all his concepting on it. So, um, and this was actually before the the iPad Pro and the pencil came out. So. Um, god only knows what kind of christmas holiday it was for him when that finally was released so um so yeah so um so yeah that guys check out procreate um if any of you are regular listeners or have listened to the last episode you'll know that we tend to give away a code every month um or every kind of episode so if you guys want to like comment and subscribe on the episode on youtube um if you listen through itunes or soundcloud or spotify if you want to go through the youtube side of things for digital artcast and like comment subscribe we will be picking one guy at random or one girl at random uh, to get a free code for Procreate um, to be used. So thanks again to Procreate. And uh, yeah, check it out on the App Store. Thanks, guys. So, uh, Max, um, we've talked a lot about the kind of beginnings you had in the industry, um, things you've worked on, um, and kind of your future plans. You're going into game development now, obviously, because you, you kind of love games. But I mean... Um, do you feel that there's a, a a main divide between games, movies and TV when it comes to the 2D side of it, it's, you know, kind of primarily concept and, and matte? Or do you find that the process is similar across all fields when you work on different IPs? Well, for the game stuff that I do as a, as a map painter I'm
0: mostly on the cinematics side um, so I think that there's pretty much uh, no divide between film and, and game cinematics. I'm working yeah. with actually I'm working with mostly when I'm, when I'm doing blur stuff, it's my whole digital domain domain film team. Yeah. Uh, it's right. all at blur now. And so it's kind of like the same team that I was doing, uh, yeah. Features with. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really see that much of a, a divide there, but I know like with the in-house or in-game stuff, um, it's not a whole lot of map painting being used. Usually they use map painters for sky boxes or like far distant
1: backgrounds. Yeah. Um,
0: so that that kind of stuff doesn't really interest me so i've kind of stayed away from
1: it right and then i mean kind of moving forward into the industry now i mean you thought about how that you know map painting could be applied against against so many different um variations of ips and movies and games what would you say would be the best way to build a portfolio now especially if you're looking to get into map painting where's your best starting point would you look obviously your course of course um but um is there any other resources you would recommend for people to look at um getting involved uh and map painting specifically yeah it's hard
0: because map painting is such a such a tiny niche and there's really it's a small community um yeah i I, I, there's not that many resources out there i i wish i could kind of guide people more yeah Uh, i would say there's a great book called the invisible art um, okay. It's out of print now, but if you can find a copy of it, it's absolutely incredible. Wow. Uh, wow. And that's kind of like the history of map painting from the beginning till now.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, awesome. But I mean, other than that, you know, that's one of the reasons why I, I made this Learn Squared course is because I felt like uh, there wasn't one course that that kind of broke it all down, and and so I, I really tried to create what I had, what I would have wanted when I was starting out in the industry.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then with that course as well, I mean, would you say that people should use? I mean, it's difficult to try and word this, but I mean, people should use matte painting as a something to enhance skills already attained as a two D artist, or do you feel like people could stand alone within matte painting to, to to produce work? Or?
0: I th- I think traditional skills are always going to help you. Uh, the techniques and the tools are that's the easy stuff to learn but understanding color theory and composition and perspective and all of these different things. That's, that's really where, you know, where, where the big gains happen, where, what, what takes you from being someone who knows how to use the tools to being an incredible artist. Yeah. So I, I think all of those resources are incredible. You know, mm. uh, I, I, if you want to learn color, Nathan Fox is just the man for that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And perspective it's, you know, Ryan Church, is is just awesome for that composition like study old you know study art history for composition to have that context or the hudson river school artists and people like that oh, yeah
1: yeah yeah um, and then i and i could also speak to that as well about um you know i've i've I daily sit by um and, and learn stuff from scott robertson's book because obviously you know scott as well as is, is god in the industry he's you know he's one of the kind of founding fathers of of, of concept stuff especially for a lot of industrial design guys um you know no know thing is especially um his entire style is based off scott's work as well so yeah um and obviously james Gurney as well um a lot of his stuff for you know understanding light composition um so yeah i mean there's there's a ton of resources out but i think like I, I think you've got a point in what you're saying that that map painting kind of stands alone although which is crazy to me because you look back even I mean, you take one of my favourite films, obviously Star Wars and um <clears throat> the map painting stuff they were doing on the set back then in the seventies. Um it's 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 interesting to see how that that technique has evolved where it's more now digital than it was traditional, you know, painted on glass, um and and placed in perspective in front of a camera. Um do you feel like I suppose a kinda another loaded question, but do you feel like map painting um still has and will have a valid place going forward in the entertainment industry?
0: Oh, completely. Yeah. I think map painting is evolving. Um, you know, more and more map painting needs to rely on 3D. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the ability to paint something to 100% photorealism is a rare skill. And it's not rare because uh, it's impossible to learn. It's rare because very few people will spend the time to learn it. It takes yeah. endurance and patience. Uh, So, you know, I think, you know, that's one of the big things with concept artists and why a lot of the time studios will just try to get a concept artist to just push a painting until it's realistic and Mm -hmm. call that a map painting. But but the truth is, is most concept artists never really practice the last 10% of a painting.
1: Yeah,
0: Uh, That's the difference between a a map painter and a concept artist is a map painter's taken a painting to that final level more times. and, And that's really what they're practicing.
1: Yeah, I think that's the, it's the tale as old oldest time when it comes to concept art, especially since, you know, I've I've tried to wander the industry for five years, but the last 10% is the, the thing that separates people from people who work and people who don't. It's always that last bit that the painting really comes in itself. It's really that last 10% where the painting comes alive, you know what I mean? So I think the guys who have the eye to push it, that extra 10%, are the guys that, or you know, are the, are the people who, your studios look for you know to be able to produce that level um, almost of, of, of work. Um, and I mean, do you see it more, and in, in, like you said, the kind of difference between map painters and concept artists, do you think map painters and concept artists have their own kind of individual fields, or do you think there's an overlap between the two?
0: Yeah, there's definitely an overlap, for sure. Um, I do a lot of concept art as well. Yeah. And I know a lot of concept artists who were matte painters or do matte paintings as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's definitely an overlap, but but it is two different roles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, a concept artist needs to practice coming up with ideas. Often, it's all yeah. about that first ten percent. Yeah. And get yes. as many hours into that first ten percent as possible. And the map paintings, map painters are all about that last ten percent. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely overlap of people who have experienced uh, and done a lot of of both ends of the, of that spectrum. So so they can jump back and forth.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, well, okay, just a kind of final things to say. Um, Max is, is um, where can people find your work? Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Obviously, LearnSquared um, is something you're you're kind of pushing just now because that's. That's on the horizon. So, so yeah, just give us your fill. What's what's happening in your world?
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, you can find my work at maxperman dot com uh, or on the social medias. But I'm pretty horrible at those. Trying to get better. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, if if you watch Learn Squared, I'm going to be doing um, live streams with them and and more stuff on the horizon with them. So, um, you know, if if you want to learn more about app painting, that's that's what I'm using as the vehicle to teach. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's,
1: that's me. Fantastic. Um, just uh, finally, just to thank you again, Max, for coming on and speaking to me. Um, it, it's been an absolute honor um, having you on. It was, a,
0: it was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm stoked to see you um, at Access and, and doing great work and, and seeing the art cast, uh, the digital art cast continue to grow
1: oh thanks thanks max <laughs> that's really nice of you um, um yeah yeah so it's uh yeah it's been great um and again guys um remember to like and comment on the video um for a chance want to win a procreate code um thanks again to procreate for sponsoring the podcast and uh yeah check out max's work and of course uh check out learn as well um and she and ash are doing great things over there and uh yeah we'll just catch you on the next episode um see you later guys bye